Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Epiphany's Podcast, a ministry of Epiphany Anglican Fellowship in Ligonier, Pennsylvania. Our church exists to help people discover and rediscover the love of God in the Christian gospel. For more information about our church, you can visit epiphanyligonier.org. All right, Epiphany, it's almost time for Christmas. We are so close to the end of our Advent time together. If you got your email this week, you'll know that this Thursday at 4 p.m., we'll be meeting together for worship in the Valley Schools Pavilion and Playground in Rector. We'll talk more details at the end of this week's service uh, during our announcement time about that. Uh, Speaking, however, of celebrated births, I wanted to share the news with the church that Bea and Mike Blastos welcomed Alexander Paul into their family on Thursday of last week, December the 10th. Uh, Mom and baby Alejo are happy and healthy. I'll have a few pictures that I'll be sending to everyone from the Blastos family in an upcoming church email. Uh, The Blastos uh, clan wants to thank all of us for our prayers. And in fact, uh, to end our prayer time today, we'll say a special prayer from our prayer books in thanksgiving for the birth of a new baby. Again, more announcements to come after the service. And I remind you, as always, friends, surely the Lord is coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Hey everyone, this is Sadie Arango. I will be reading the Confession of Sin and Assurance of Pardon. Let us confess our sins before God and our neighbor. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And apart from your grace, there is no health in us. O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare all those who confess their faults. Restore all those who are penitent, according to your promises declared to all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may now live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Grant to your faithful people, most merciful Lord, pardon and peace, that we may be cleansed from all our sins and serve you with a quiet mind. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our psalm for the fourth Sunday in Advent is Psalm 132. Lord, remember David and all his tribulations, how he swore unto the Lord and vowed a vow unto the Almighty God of Jacob. I will not come within the tabernacle of my house, nor climb up into my bed. I will not allow my eyes to sleep, nor my eyelids to slumber, neither the temples of my head to take any rest, until I find a place for the temple of the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Lo, we heard of the ark at Ephrathah, and found it in the wood. We will go into his tabernacle and fall low on our knees before his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into your resting place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints sing with joy. For your servant David's sake, turn not away the presence of your anointed. 
The Lord has made a faithful oath unto David, and he shall not shrink from it. Of the fruit of your body shall I set upon your throne. If your children will keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their children shall also sit upon your throne forevermore. For the Lord has chosen Zion for himself. He has longed for her to be his habitation. This shall be my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have a delight therein. I will bless her provisions with increase, and will satisfy her poor with bread. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall rejoice and sing. There shall I make the horn of David flourish. I have prepared a lantern for my anointed. As for his enemies, I shall clothe them with shame, but upon his head shall his crown flourish. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. This is Beth Gerald. I miss you all, and I hope you're doing well and looking forward to being with you all on Christmas Eve. So our Old Testament lesson is from Genesis 33, 1 through 11. And Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him. And they wept. And when Esau lifted his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servant drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Likewise, Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down to Esau. What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen... Your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that I is brought to you, because God has dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. Thus he urged him, and he took it. When Jean Valjean lies dying at the end of the musical Les Miserables, not the Victor Hugo novel, but the musical, he prays a particular prayer of repentance. You see, his adopted daughter named Cassette has blossomed into a beautiful young woman. She's married her true love. She's gone in this musical from literally rags to riches. But the circumstances around her adoption were really less than auspicious. You know, Jean Valjean was indirectly and unknowingly responsible for the death of Cassette's mother. And as an act of contrition to make his mistake right, he takes in Cassette and raises her as uh, his own. And as he approaches death, he's given this vision, and the vision is of Cassette's mother, who, who comes to him with forgiveness and blessing and deep gratitude. 
And if you have two ears and a heart, you're weeping as the two sing together. And the magic of doing a podcast is that I can actually play them for you. I don't have to sing myself. So give me a second here. I'm going to see if I can't splice in a little audio. Here we go. Come with me with chains oh. will never bind you. Oh, I am ready for and take me to your glory. Take my hands, I'll lead you to salvation. Take my love, for love is everlasting. And remember the truth once was spoken to love another person is to see the face of God. Now that last lyric is where I want to focus our time today, which is when they sing together, to love another person is to see the face of God. And at its face value, it's a theological sentiment. It doesn't really hold much water. It's more of a hallmark card line than a verse of Holy Scripture. You know, we know the Bible stories, how Moses was only allowed to see God's backside when God deigned to pass him by, because if Moses saw God's face, he would certainly die. And we know how the prophet Isaiah has this heavenly vision of God's throne room, and he freaks out. He knows that his life is in danger and forfeit because he's entered the presence of God, that he's in the presence and and looking at God. And even outside of the Bible proper, right, there's this famous scene in Indiana Jones uh, in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, where a group of Nazis look and, and they have the ark that they talk about in the Old Testament, And they look into the inside of it, and the result is, because they've gazed upon the face of God, theoretically, the result is that their faces completely melt. But Indiana Jones, of course, is uh, saved. He survives because he's a good Catholic boy, and he remembers his Sunday school lessons. To gaze upon the face of God the Father is to become so overcome by pure goodness and holiness that it would result in our immediate destruction. But in our reading today from Genesis, Jacob, now called Israel, has another take on this idea, and it's one closer to Les Miserables than Indiana Jones. And it's what I'd like to discuss with you on our digital service this morning. And I want to talk about the face of God. Where can we find it? What does it look like? We're going to talk about the face of God today. And we're going to do so by catching you up on our reading from Genesis. So we're in Genesis 33. And here's where our text uh, goes today. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and with 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children up front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. 
Now, if you've been paying attention to our series so far that we started back in uh, May of last year, you'll know that this encounter has been 20 years in the making. Jacob and Esau are twin brothers. They're reconnecting after two decades of being estranged. Their mutual disrespect and anger is well-remembered. Esau was the firstborn twin and entitled to all the privileges therein. Jacob aggressively plotted and successfully stole a number of those firstborn privileges from his elder brother. And so Jacob was sent away to find a wife, but really it was because his brother was justifiably so mad at him, he wanted to kill him. And so to save his life, but also uh, to help him get a bride and kind of to exile him, Jacob was sent away from the family. And he ended up staying away and working under his abusive father-in-law for 20 years. And after arranging for Jacob to flee that abusive father-in-law arrangement, God is now arranging for Jacob to reconnect with his once murderous brother, who may still indeed have murderous intentions, who knows. And it's so bad, the psychological pressure, the spiritual pressure on Jacob is so bad that the night before this encounter, Jacob has a mystical experience of wrestling with one of God's angels, a metaphor for wrestling with God himself, a metaphor for wrestling with God's plan to bring these estranged brothers back together. Jacob wasn't just wrestling because he needed some physical activity before he went to bed that night. He's wrestling with God's will that he be reconnected and reconciled to his brother. And so after 20 years of estrangement and zero communication, after 20 years of wondering if he was going to die at his brother's hands if he ever showed his face in town again, Jacob finally sees his brother arriving. And he bows to the ground seven times, a sign of total submission. He's submitting himself, he's prostrating himself, and he waits for the hammer to drop. 20 years, friends, of fear and guilt and condemnation has culminated to this point. The brothers meet, and here's what happens in our text. What happens when they finally see each other face to face after 20 years? Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. I'll read that again. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. What Jacob expected in the encounter was judgment and shame and maybe even death. He expected rejection. He expected violence. At the very least, he he expected some sort of cold, angry something uh, from his brother. And at worst, you know, he thought the wrath of all 400 of those men and 20 years of resentment was going to fall on him. What does he get instead? He gets the opposite. He gets hugs and kisses for Pete's sake. He expects to maybe even die, but he's greeted with hugs and kisses. You know, you'd be forgiven if you think this story is sort of a ripoff of Jesus's parable of the prodigal son, but This story actually comes first. And unlike the parable of the prodigal son, the two brothers actually get along in our reading today. Despite leaving in functional exile 20 years prior, Jacob returns and discovers that his past has been forgiven and he is welcomed with open arms. So the text continues on. Jacob introduces to Esau this whole new group of nieces and nephews and sisters-in-law that he never even knew. 
Jacob insists on giving Esau a number of gifts to make amends. There is reconciliation in our reading today in a deep and effective way. You know, it wasn't that long ago in our Genesis series that we read about how the first two brothers of creation, Cain and Abel, how their their relationship ended in tragedy and, and fratricide. And while fratricide was on the table at one point between Jacob and Esau, because of God's gracious intervention, uh, we have a reconciliation instead. It's a beautiful story. Indeed, you know, God is at the core of this reconciliation. Did you catch what Jacob says to Esau in our reading? This is one of the things that I think is just phenomenal, and it gets to the point of where we're going today in our sermon. For I have seen your face, says Jacob to Esau, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. It's remarkable because Jacob believes that the loving, accepting, prodigal, embracing, hugs and kisses brother standing in front of him is somehow a reflection of the face of God, a face which he thought was going to be a whole lot meaner and a whole lot judgier, right? The face of God, which we're supposed to approach with raw and awe and reverence and bowing seven times, the face of God, which Moses hid himself from and God hid Moses from, um, the thing that caused Isaiah to tremble with fear for his very life, Jacob says that he sees that same all-powerful, all-knowing face of God and the tears and the weeping with joy. If you've ever thought the Old Testament portrayed um, a mean God who lashed out and smote people for being bad, may this passage be a joyful correction for you. When the two brothers who are enemies are reconciled with forgiveness and grace, here we catch a glimpse of the face of God. This is, after all, the very mission at the heart of Jesus' death and resurrection, to reconcile a deceptive and cheating and rebellious humanity in exile from their heavenly Father. And so in the Gospel of John, when Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father, Jesus, that'll be enough and we'll believe everything that you're saying. We just could use a little visual confirmation and that would be great. Um, Jesus' response is famous because Jesus says, anybody who's seen the Father... Um, Anybody who's seen himself, Jesus, has seen the Father. That Jesus is so connected, I mean, we know Trinitarian-wise, but if you look upon the face of Jesus Christ himself, says Jesus, you have seen the Father. That's John chapter 14. The face of God could perhaps be seen most in this earthly plane when it was adorned with a crown of thorns and hung on a cross, sipping wine vinegar and crying in agony as life was drained from it. It was in that moment, as St. Paul will eloquently state later on in the New Testament, that in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Just like Esau reconciled Jacob to himself, not counting his trespasses against him. It adds a whole new layer of meaning to the lyrics of Les Miserables, right? To see another person is to see the face of God. Excuse me, to love another person is to see the face of God. And now read that right next to what Jesus says um, about love in John chapter 15. That greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friends. Uh, to me, as I reflect on this text, as we celebrate, uh, prepare to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, it brings to mind the famous Christmas truce of 1914. Some of you may know the story. It's a famous one that 
you know, World War One had broken out months before in Europe, about six months before, and trench warfare is just absolutely brutal, and it's dirty, and it's sick, and it's unforgiving, and the body count was just astronomical as uh, soldiers just ran uh, wave into wave of um, mortar and machine gun fire as they were trying to get through their dug-in uh, fortifications. I mean, this is truly humanity at its worst, World War I. But in 1914, uh, both sides of the war, the Central Powers led by Germany and the Allied Powers led by France and Britain at that point, they formed an unofficial ceasefire on Christmas Eve. It didn't come from the top. It came from the soldiers on the ground who were just sick of fighting and they wanted a break. And so the guns stopped firing and the bombs stopped falling. And in the quiet, uh, the German line across the way could be heard singing Christmas carols. And all of a sudden on Christmas Eve, the, the candles and the Christmas trees began popping up along their trenches. And when the English responded with their own Christmas carols uh, of, uh, of their own, they started singing to each other. The enemies started singing to each other. And then a handful of Germans who spoke English came out of their trenches, and they were unarmed. And they brought over gifts to the English, cigarettes and pipe tobacco and buttons and other trinkets and sweets that they exchanged as gifts. And the next day, on Christmas Day proper, soldiers on both sides, um, they brought out soccer balls, and then they played soccer on the fields. And they were not a day prior on the very same fields shooting bullets across them. And we have stories of British soldiers cutting the hair of their German counterparts, their enemies, and how these enemies were sipping cognac and smoking cigars together when two days before they were trying to kill one another. And this didn't just happen in one place, by the way. It happened all up and down this massive western front of the war. In the name of Jesus, friends, fighting stopped. And for this moment, brothers were reconciled. Some places it lasted for a day. Some places it at least lasted for half a day. But some places, places along the western front, it lasted all the way into New Year's Eve. There was a whole week of, of non-combat. There was a whole week of ceasefire in Jesus' name. Perhaps had more Christians been involved in the leadership of those governments, war itself might have been brought to a merciful end early in Jesus' name, but that's not what happened, sadly. Indeed, St. Paul says we see this reconciling face of God as through a dark glass, meaning we don't get to see the full reconciling work of God. Um, we see bits and pieces of it now, but that's going to change one day. One day we will see the face of God in all of its fullness. Our firm Advent belief is that Jesus is going to put an end to war. He's going to put an end to all of our conflict. He's going to put an end to COVID-19. And Jesus is going to reconcile the world to himself. And brothers and enemies alike will come together. And as Isaiah says, the swords will be beaten into plowshares. We will study war no more. And all of the things that we wish could be gone from our lives will be gone. And everything will be made right in ways we can't even imagine. And so fear not, dear friends, um, the face of God. Don't be afraid of it. Jacob sees the face of God in his brother, full of hugs and kisses and joy. The runaway son sees the face of God in the face of his father. The prodigal son sees the face of God in the face of his father, also full of hugs and kisses and joy. Jean Valjean sees the forgiving face of God in the forgiveness that the birth mother of his beloved cassette offers him. 
The Germans and the English saw it on each other's faces in the trenches on December 25th, 1914. And the Roman centurions in the crowds saw it on Calvary 2,000 years ago, perhaps more clearly than most if they had eyes to see. And friends, we too will see the face of God when it comes to save the world and rid it of all its imperfections. And when he does come, we will see him face to face as a friend and not a stranger. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Jackson Arango reading uh, the Apostles' Creed and the Lord's Prayer. Let us affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now as our Savior taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Hi, everybody. This is Marge Moyer. I hope I'll be seeing most of you soon, uh, Christmas Eve, in Rector. I have the prayers of the people for us now. Would you pray with me, please? Here's the collect for the fourth Sunday in Advent. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us. And as we are sorely hindered by our sins from running the race that is set before us, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory, now and forever. Amen. On our church prayer list, we remember Rich Wilson's mother, Carol, Rich and Jean Wilson's daughter, Rebecca, and her family, Sarah Condon, Beth Gerald's Aunt Janet, Billy Meckick and her son, Charles, Amy and Gabriel Staggs, Zach Starrett, Regina Butler's mother, Jeff Campbell, and the family of Elmer Hemmerl in our prayers. Almighty God, we entrust all who are dear to us, especially those on our church prayer list, to your never-failing care and love for this life and for the life to come, knowing that you are doing for them better things than we can desire or pray for. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer for mission. Lord Jesus Christ, you stretched out your arms of love on the hard wood of the cross that everyone might come within the reach of your saving embrace. So clothe us in your spirit that we, reaching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and love of you. For the honor of your name. Amen. Please take a moment to share your own personal prayers and thanksgivings, both silently or aloud with your family.
Almighty God, you have given us grace at this time with one accord to make our common supplications to you. And you have promised through your well-beloved Son that when two or three are gathered together in his name, you will grant their requests. Fulfill now, O Lord, our desires and petitions as may be best for us, granting us in this world knowledge of your truth and in the age to come, life everlasting. Amen. And now a few final prayers of thanksgiving for the birth of baby Alejo. Watch over your child Alejo, O Lord, and increase his days. Bless him and guide him and keep him unspotted from the world. Strengthen him when he stands. Comfort him when he is discouraged or sorrowful. Raise him up if he falls, and in his heart may your peace, which passes all understanding, abide all the days of his life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O God, you have taught us through your blessed Son that whoever receives a little child in the name of Christ receives himself. We give you thanks for the blessing that you have bestowed upon the Blastos family in giving them this child. Confirm their joy by a lively sense of your presence with them, and give them calm strength and patient wisdom as they seek to bring this child to love all that is true and noble, just and pure, lovable and gracious, excellent and admirable, following the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Heavenly Father, your Son, our Savior, took young children into his arms and blessed them. Strengthen Elena and Javi to be wholesome and godly examples, companions, and encouragers to their new brother. Keep them from strife and discord, and when they hurt one another, give them your grace readily to forgive. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, grant these our prayers for Jesus Christ's sake, our only mediator and advocate, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Let's conclude our time together with this prayer of thanksgiving. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you've made. We bless you for our creation and for our preservation and all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love and the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth our praise to you, not only with our lips but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. And friends, glory to God, whose power working in us can do infinitely more than we can ask or imagine. Glory to him from generation to generation in the church and in Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Before we end our time together today, here are a few updates for the good of the church. Uh, first, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who helped out at yesterday's Salvation Army Angel Tree a gift distribution. It was a huge gift for Epiphany's members to be there during this crazy COVID year. So thank you, Terry Toscano, for organizing it. Thank you, everyone who volunteered throughout the last month to make it happen. Thank you, everyone who showed up yesterday to lift and carry and to make sure that Christmas could still happen in COVID for our neighbors who are struggling at this time of year. Second thing, 
uh, for the good of the church. It, it seems odd to think about anything after Christmas Day at this point, but our next Sunday worship will be on Sunday, December 27th. So stay tuned for more information on whether we're going to meet in, in person, whether we're going to go online. I'm still waiting to see if there's any information from the diocese uh, regarding whether they have any guidance for this time of year, given the recent orders from Governor Wolf. But third, if you missed the email, uh, here is the update uh, about our Christmas Eve plan for 2020. Uh, so you don't have to keep coming back to the podcast time and time again. You can go to epiphanyligonier.org slash Christmas and all of this information will be here. Uh, but uh, the Christmas Eve service this year, we're going to meet at 4 p.m. to sing Christmas carols and celebrate the Christmas holiday. And we have reserved the pavilion that's owned by Valley School of Ligonier. And this pavilion is located at the corner of 381 and Old Lynn Run Road in Rector. Tim, our beloved pianist, will be there with his keyboard. We'll have our traditional lessons and carol service. Despite the bleakness of the COVID winter, our time together on Christmas Eve is shaping up to be a wonderful evening. And so to that end, a couple of things to, to keep in mind as we prepare for our Christmas Eve service on Thursday. The first is a reminder to bring a mask, that when we get together during COVID to sing, it's always good to have a mask on hand. So bring a mask to wear while we sing. We'll be six feet apart, and so when we're not singing, we can take our masks off during the service. But let's be honest, we want to sing a lot because it's Christmas and we don't get to sing very often in church these days. So bring a mask is the first reminder. Second is to keep an eye on the weather and dress accordingly for the day. Look, it's going to be cold. It's going to be rainy. It's going to be snowy on Christmas Eve. So come bundled up to keep warm and dry. Bring a hot coffee, bring a hot chocolate, bring some little portable hand heaters, do what you'd like. As long as you can be there and, and warm and comfortable, we'd love for you to be there. Third thing to bring, the pavilion itself has a number of picnic tables that we're going to use. Uh, but if you'd like to bring something a little more comfortable, like a lawn chair or a camp chair for standing up and sitting down, I think you'll find the service will be a little more comfortable if you have one of those with you. So if you'd like to bring a camp chair or a lawn chair, feel free to do so. Finally, the last part of this announcement is that uh, restroom facilities may not be available. And even if they are available, it's likely to be a chilly Porta John restroom experience. So, you know, plan accordingly uh, to go before you go, if you know what I'm saying. Friends, I am so excited to be with you this Christmas Eve. I have missed you all these past three Advent Sundays. And so until Christmas Eve comes, get that shopping done, get those last ingredients from the grocery store and God be with you. Have a great Christmas week, my friends. We'll see you on Thursday. Epiphany Church in Ligonier, Pennsylvania.